From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Change is almost always difficult, and in the business of college sports, it can come swiftly and often inevitably. Following the loss to Missouri that left a once promising season dangling at 5-6, and six, Athletic Director Scott Strickland decided it was time for a new direction, ending Dan Mullen's four-year tenure leading the program. As the prying eyes of the sports world looked to Gainesville to see who takes one of the most prominent jobs in the game, Gator Nation similarly awaits this pivotal announcement. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to address the move from every angle, including what went wrong, the type of coach it'll take to turn it around, and what it means for the immediate future of a team fighting to beat its arch rival and get bowl eligible. Also, the roundtable hits on a promising start for men's basketball and Thanksgiving sports memories in the PAT. Then, tight end Kimari Gamble shares his best memories from his Gator career, how he's grown over the course of his time in the program, and the personal tragedy he's fought through to make it to the finish line that is Senior Day. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. All right, let's get rolling on this week's roundtable. Uh, Gators Scott, Gators Chris are here. Guys, there's really not a lot of mystery about where we have to start, and that's obviously the dominant story this week, not just in Gainesville, but uh, because of the prominence of the University of Florida's football program, it's one of the top stories in the world of sports, and that is, of course, Dan Mullen, no longer the head coach of the Gators as of Sunday. Uh, things had been trending this way for a little while. I think we all we all knew that. You could feel that temperature in the room. Uh, and then obviously came to a head after the, the loss to Missouri. Um, I guess just just for you guys, how did, how did we get here? I think it's that's one of the things there's been a lot of is these postmortems about look at where Florida was a year ago. Look at where Florida was even in September and, and where we are today. Uh, it's a pretty shocking and stunning turn of events in a very short period of time. Yeah, it really is, Adam. And uh, usually in a situation like this, uh, it kind of you look back on it, you realize it's a it's a snowball effect. And, uh, you know, losing at Kentucky uh, after playing so well against Alabama, beating Tennessee. And then, you know, there was talk about facing Alabama potentially in the SEC championship game. That's where the Gators were a month into the season. But I think the loss at Kentucky as, as bad as that was or as disappointing as it was for Gators fans because of the self-inflicted wounds, mostly the 15 penalties, I think you really look back, that LSU lost is when you knew that hmm, something just doesn't seem right here. And then, of course, South Carolina magnified that in a harsher way, and Sanford win did nothing. And then just last week, I mean, I thought it was going to be a real battle for Florida to go out. They made it a game, but they still just couldn't make plays when they had to. And afterward, uh, there was just a sense of doom uh, in that traveling party. I mean, it was uh, – yeah, I didn't know that something was going to happen within 12 hours, but you sensed that there was something 
that maybe was not going to be corrected with the current situation. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it just looks – it was a snowball effect, one thing after another. And when you try to peel back the layers and, you know, everybody wants to know what happened, I mean, you know, we all have our theories. Uh, I just think that this is a team that – I think Dan Mullen may have hit it on his last press conference. He actually said they, they like mental toughness, and he blamed the coaches for that. And I do think this is a team that lacks mental toughness. I think they lack some talent on defense. They lack some playmakers on defense. Uh, but mostly, uh, it's just it was one of those seasons that once it went bad, there was no stopping it. And that's the way these things play out sometimes. I think one of the, something that makes these situations so difficult, if you know that old saying, uh, what needs to be done eventually must be done immediately, um, I think there's probably some people who thought, why, didn't, why not let him coach uh, the last game? And, of course, he had that option. He declined it. Um, why do it now? Why not wait to end the year? Blah, blah, blah. It's just – I guess the specter of speculation is so much now, especially especially the way, uh, the, the way social media is. Um, I think also in this particular case might be a little more unique. There, I mean, there's always – you know, and the NFL has its Black Monday, the day after the, the, the season ends uh, – College football is different in that it kind of stuff happens at the end of the year, but it, but at piecemeal times. Um, and I mean, LSU, USC, um, you know, to uh, Washington, and you know, you got it to a lesser extent, uh, uh, the, the opening of Virginia Tech. There's some name openings. And if Florida was going to get in the mix with some of these marquee candidates, maybe they needed to let, uh, let it be known that, that there was going to be a vacancy. Um, uh, publicly know it, or rather. So I don't envy Scott Strickland in situations like this. And man, you gotta, you, you gotta get this one right. Uh, just, just think about, you know, for the last five head coaches here, this is how it's ended, right? Is it four? That's right. I'm counting. Just, just think about the last, just think about since Steve Spurrier left four of the last five head coaches, it's ended this way. And it's been, you know, weird at the end. And, and, and it just, it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's so funny where the bar was 20 years ago and the standard is that that's, that's still the bar, but how, how different college football is and how hard it is to, to reach the bar that Steve Spurrier set. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I don't, I don't envy the AD for having to make this choice because I think there's going to be some attractive names some guys that are going to be interested in the job. There's probably, some under-the-radar guys that would be great here. But uh, there's a lot of boxes that have to be checked. And obviously winning is the first one. But they got to upgrade this talent level on this roster. And Scott, I think, made that point. He said no playmakers on defense. I'm not sure how many there are on offense as long as we're having that discussion. So this, uh, the, the next person has to be a bulldog on the recruiting trail and, ha- and has to be ready for it. And that it, it, it has to be his number one priority when he uh, – when he hits that uh, uh, that Gainesville treadmill, when he lands, yeah, it's interesting because there's so many names going around right now in terms of you know what direction Florida is going to go and, and what Florida should be looking for. And I think, and, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but I think what we're talking about is someone. It's got to be a holistic view of building a program, whereas 
it seems like the the battle, at least philosophically, the last few years, you were comparing Florida and you were comparing Georgia. And Georgia and Kirby Smart was very much a, we're going to recruit like crazy and that's how we're going to win standpoint. And then Mullen's approach was more, we're going to develop. We're going to really develop guys and we're going to call and we're going to coach them up to where that's how we'll compete. And obviously, if, if you stack one against the other, it seems pretty clear that the the recruiting side won out in that argument, right? But bigger picture, it, it's got to be both, right? And that's what I'm, I'm to some degree, I'm a little wary of some of the names I hear when you hear, oh, well, they're, you know, offensive geniuses. Well, it's not enough just to be a, a genius or a great play caller. You've got to be able to do it all. You've got to be able to bring in the talent as well. So I, I think, again, it's a very difficult job that Scott Strickland has, but you have to find someone who's really confident in their ability to coach, but not so much so that they think they don't need to be just crazy out there on the recruiting trail bringing in top talent. Yeah, I mean, college football, yeah, it's changed a lot over the years in terms of um, the different elements of the sport. Uh, but one thing that hasn't changed is recruiting. Uh, the better players you recruit, uh, the easier the development is. <laughs> you know, you, you get great players, it's easy to develop. Dan Mullen and his staff, I mean, let's face it, they've developed some really good players here, and they recruited some really good players here. I just don't know if there was enough of them to uh, get them over the hump uh, where they are in 2021 and going forward. Um, and, it, I mean, there's no real – there's no real mystery here. I mean, Alabama is Alabama because Nick Saban, they've won so much. He's basically probably got the list of the 100 players in America. And he calls them and says, you want to come here? Let me know right now, or I'm going to call the next guy on the list. <laughs> I mean, that's how you could do it when you're. Or, well, or, or, they're, or they're calling him or they're calling him first. <laughs> or they're calling him first. Yeah, I was going to say that, and that's what Kirby Smart has developed at Georgia as well. Georgia has essentially become the Alabama of the East in that respect. Well, I mean, this year, you know, let's see if they can finish it out. I mean, they're having a great year. They, but they've, been, they've recruited at a high level since he's been there, but they haven't won the big one. I mean, Saving and Dabo Sweeney's another coach. I mean, I think if you look in college football right now, there's probably five programs that are recruiting at a level that no one else is. That's, that's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and um, who I'm missing? LSU's been pretty good. I mean, yeah, LSU is right there. And I think Texas A&M, Florida, Texas A&M. Texas A&M yeah. who was, I meant to say Texas A&M with Fisher. And then Florida is right there in that next order. And, and it shows in the college football playoffs. I mean, Florida has yet to crack that, that top shelf. And once they get up there, I think it's going to be easier to get into that regular recruiting rotation among those programs. And that's what, I mean, everything that we're going to talk about here today, guys, the most important element of can the next coach at Florida – get into that top five in recruiting in the national rankings each year. That's what it's going to take to get into the top five in the college football playoff. And uh, Dan Mullen, I mean, he, he had some great moments here. And, uh, you know, I give him credit. I know Dan Mullen's a great football coach. Uh, so I don't want to knock him in any way there. I just, I just think that this year, more than anything, it showed that, yeah, there was a, a gap between – Florida's recruiting and some of those other programs. And that's just where we are. I think one of the, one of the reasons the decision was ultimately made, it would have been different if in evaluating the whole thing, you could look and say, Oh, we got this top 10 class coming in. Right. That's not the case. And yeah, $85 million football complex that 
they've just went out and, and raised a lot of money for. And donors want to see football players in there, really good ones. And I think, you know, that thing's not going to recruit on its own just because they have a great facility. Doesn't mean a bunch of players are going to come, but it is a, it's a, it's a resource and the right person uh, with the right pitch and the right tenor and, 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 and the enthusiasm and stuff I think can really uh, make that thing worthwhile. And that's the guy they're looking for right now, obviously. I mean, Chris, you noted that the $85 million facility, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, Florida's been working really hard the last few years to get their facilities on par with some of these other major programs we're talking about. Uh, and, and now that that's there, I think that in the past was something that when there were coaching searches going on, and we know because, you know, we've had uh, four of these in, in recent times, that was always kind of a, a ding on Florida. Oh, they don't have this level of facilities. Well, now you've got that, right? You, you've gotten to where the Joneses are. You're on that level. Not just that, but what other factors make this such an attractive job? There, there's tons of names out there. Uh, people listening to this have probably heard them. We don't need to go into those specifically. But what about the Florida job makes it compelling to where some of these top-tier names are going to accept that call and, and get on the plane? I mean, this program's had tremendous success over the years. I mean, um, you know, not many schools can say they've won three national titles in the last, what, 20? Yeah, they've won three uh, Heisman trophies. Um, it's in the state with some of the most recruiting or fertile recruiting ground in the country. You know, Scott Strickland in his uh, press conference Sunday talking about uh, what made this job uh, particularly attractive and how he was going to sell it. You know, he mentioned – the things that we're talking about here, the, the new facility, the, the recruiting ground. Uh, the One thing he really stressed, and I think it is true, you know, they, there is an alignment at the top here at Florida where the AD and the, you know, the boards and, and the top boosters, I mean, they seem to be aligned most of the time with their thinking. That helps, obviously, where you don't have all these internal factions going back and forth. Um, I also think... You know the top. You know the school itself is one of the you know top five public universities in the country now. Uh, so they can sell that. I mean, there. You know, there's not. There's the the selling job really shouldn't be that hard if you're the kind of competitor as a coach that you have to be at Florida. And I think it's going to be a great opportunity for whoever gets it. And you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Is it going to be a, a guy that maybe is this is his first crack at a job like this? or a veteran who's kind of been through the mix, um, it seems like the sense it might be a newcomer to get a chance. We'll see how that works out. But I just know that if he can recruit at a high level consistently, that he can win here at Florida as, you can, as big as you can win anywhere else. Again, going back to both our original points, you, you got to do both. I mean, Will Muschamp was a great recruiter. He was not a good offensive coach, and that was his downfall. Jim McElwain had a staff that were pretty decent recruiters, uh, couldn't win in a big way. I, I, don't, I don't know how much he connected within. And as far as selling points, last January, Cotton Bowl. January before that, uh, 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 Orange Bowl. January before that, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I mean, they, they, they've gone to big games. Players want to play in big games. Um, and and they're playing conference champions and conference runner, runners-up from from other places. So uh, the, selling, the selling points are very easy. Um, uh, Steve Spurrier, like, you know, uh, you go up in the Ohio or in the East or whatever, and just bring them, 
bring them out for official visit in January and get them sense of the weather. I mean, I'm here in uh, Fort Myers right now for this basketball tournament, and there are way more Seton Hall fans and, and Ohio State fans than there are Gator fans. Gator fans are already here. Seton Hall fans and Ohio State say, hell yes, we're going down to that weather. <laughs> weather should be a huge selling point, I think, for, uh, for recruiting also. Uh, and that new facility has a beautiful uh, uh, resort-style pool that uh, is going to be an interesting selling point. And they have a lazy river that's actually outside, not inside, uh, as opposed to the one in, at, at Clemson. So that, that thing in itself, and compare with the Hawkins Center and plenty of reasons to be excited about coming to the University of Florida. But a guy has got to be able to, once he gets him here, he's got to be able to coach him and he's got to be able to coach him well and, and, and win big games. You know, it's funny having this conversation, you would think that the season is over, but in fact, there is still a game to play. And it's, you know, quite honestly, it's a pretty big game, right? Because it's Florida, Florida State. It's the first time this has happened now in two years because of COVID. Um, not only is it senior day, but it's also, you know, it's a chance for Florida to get bowl eligible. And, uh, you know, talking to some of the, hearing from some of the players that they want to go to a bowl. You know, those guys, they, they want that experience, even if it's not some of the ones you just talked about, Chris. Um, so there's still, there's a lot at stake this weekend. I think the question that I think most fans would have, which is fair, is, how are they going to play this game and plan for this game without their head coach and their offensive play caller? And they recently, three weeks ago, lost their defensive coordinator and play caller. How can Florida, how will Florida cobble this together to try and go out and, and beat the Seminoles? I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the million dollar question this week. I think, uh, I think, first of all, it's Florida State. Let's just go ahead. If you come to Florida uh, to play football, to be a Gator, and you don't get excited about Florida State, well, you probably came to the wrong place, right? So you got that as number one motivating factor. The, the game's got bow eligibility on the line for both teams, so th- there's another motivating factor. Believe it or not, as um, I guess as tumultuous as this season's been, the Gators can still have a winning record if they can somehow beat Florida State, get the bowl, and win the bowl game. Uh, so, you know, that's the, that's the positive side of it. That's, that's what you have to play for. The reality side of it is, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Florida State's coming in here and kind of trending in the opposite direction. They've won five of their last seven while Florida has struggled. And Florida's got a, you know, the Greg Knox is going to be the interim coach. Now, Greg has been through this before. He uh, replaced Dan Mullen, you know, at Mississippi State. So, you know, when Dan Mullen came to Florida back at the end of 2017, uh, Knox took over Mississippi State as interim coach, and they went over to the Gator Bowl and beat Louisville and Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, it was a big win for him. So, he's been through this before. His message is kind of what we're saying here, talking about the Florida State game, big game, big rivalry. Uh, I think his direct quote was, that's my message. We, we're a big rivalry game at home. We win at home. That's the only message we need. But there also is a lot of stuff going on, like just getting guys focused, staying on the same page, getting, you know, Garrett McKee, the quarterback's coach, is going to call the offensive plays. Uh, Knox obviously had more of a leadership role this week. Uh, so there's just been a transition that is difficult for everyone in the organization. Uh, and you really, we don't really know how they're going to respond until we see it on the field Saturday. But if they come out there and play the way, you know, they did early in the season, uh, I think this should be a pretty good game. So much of the focus is on football right now and for good reason, but uh, there's some really good stuff going on with basketball, and, and we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, so the Ohio State game has not happened yet, but it will have happened by the time that, that people hear this. Uh, but Chris, in terms of the last few games, we talked about how they handle success when they came out against Milwaukee, 
and they crushed them uh, and then looked incredibly impressive against Cal at the start of this tournament. And I think what people are seeing, what I'm seeing, is a team that while we may not know them that well, they play incredibly hard and they seem very connected for a squad that is so fresh and so new. Really, really good points that you make. And it's funny because I was at a dinner last night down here in Fort Myers and the whole uh, traveling party went out and the guy sat, uh, the player sat away in a, in a long table. And I was remarking to the people I was sitting with, man, these guys really seem to get along and really, really like each other. And I was told by uh, Dave Warner, the trainer, uh, he, he goes, it's, it's been that way with these guys since, since they got here, they kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like right away, just mesh really, really well. And it's, it's, it's unusual, I think, especially when you start thinking about minutes distribution, because there's so many of them. So many of these guys, the, 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 the minutes are overloaded for the older guys. The younger guys are, are playing four or five, maybe six minutes. The older guys are, pay, are playing the, the, the bulk of the minutes. And uh, the other night against Cal, the Monday night uh, first round game, um, that changed a little bit because Florida got up by 26 points in the second half. Started slow. Uh, ball wasn't snapping around like it normally does. So I think Cal's defense had a little bit to that. The way they make you play kind of work. They don't like the kind of the, the way they kind of get in the gaps. The perimeter passing is maybe maybe gets a little bit harder. Uh, but eventually, Florida was able to speed the ball, speed the game up a little bit, and then started pounding the glass. Shot the ball better than 50 percent in both halves, um, and, and uh, they were they were pretty damn good the other night. Um, what happens in Ohio State game uh, Wednesday night uh, obviously will be will be another litmus test, uh, kind of like the Florida State game was. Ohio State's a very very good team. We'll see what happens to that. But um, after that game, they're home against uh, Troy on Sunday, and then next week will be at Oklahoma, which obviously a true road game, and obviously that'll be another one of those quote unquote litmus test kind of things. But when they do go after they play Oklahoma, four of their first eight games will have been against uh, uh, from Power Five conferences. So that's a that's a pretty good feather in the cap relative to schedule. Speaking of feathers, it is Thanksgiving. Let's talk turkey here, guys. Um, Thanksgiving Day is a wonderful day for sports, assuming that you still enjoy watching the Detroit Lions play every year, despite them being one of the worst franchises in sports. I don't know why we still have to do this every year, but we do. Uh, so that's pro- I don't know if, if your best Thanksgiving Day sports memory is tied to the Detroit Lions, uh, but... Hopefully you guys have something here that uh, that stands out when you think about your long history of eating turkey and watching sports in late November. I don't know if I have a best, but I certainly have a worst. Um, <laughs> that counts uh, too. The Clint, the, yeah, well, the Clint Longley play uh, when I was 15 years old, growing up as a, a Washington Redskins slash Washington football team fan. I mean, <laughs> they, uh, they, the, the rivalry was one of the best in, in all of sports, obviously, back then. It was in its heyday. George Allen and Tom Landry took it to another level. George Allen actually took it to another Tom Landry was always the plastic man, great coach and everything, but he rarely showed his personality. But you, you knock Roger Stallback out of a Thanksgiving Day game that you're winning for the and the division title on the line and all this stuff, and they put in a guy no one's ever heard of, Clint Longley, who would, you know, inside of a minute left launches, of course, one of the most famous 50-yard touchdowns. Why Ken Stone let Drew Pearson, of all people, a Hall of Famer, get behind him on that particular time, I don't know. Um, but that one really haunts me. Um, but I, maybe it, we, it, we can maybe flip the conversation, and I can, th- I can say that Dallas maybe got um, – kind of got its, 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 its come up and uh, maybe – maybe it was 20 years later, 15 years later. 
I remember being just being so happy watching Miami and Dallas play in the snow when Leon Lett tried to recover a, a, a block kick fumble uh, like at the five yard line or something, and the and it went and, it, and I guess the it went into the end zone and the Dolphins recovered a missed kick in the end zone for a touchdown that lost them the game. At least that's how I remember it. I'm not sure, but it was it was a great it was a great great loss for the Cowboys if if, if I recall, but. My greatest memory of, of Thanksgiving sports is playing – everyone, when you grow up up north, you play in a turkey bowl. And I guess in the south you do too. Just You play up there in the snow. Hmm. You play up there in the cold. And you get together for your Sandlot buddies and you play and with and guys home from college or back when we were in high school or whatever, and you play tackle football and it's fun. And it's uh, – your parents let you do it even though you probably got to go to some kind of family function because everybody did it. And uh, I used to love playing in the Thanksgiving Day Turkey Bowls, and those are those those are great memories and memories that I uh, that even when my buddies and I, when I go home or something and get together, we still talk about those things. You know, I'm kind of I think my favorite memory is just the tradition, guys, of football being such a part of Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm like Chris. I remember playing football outside with buddies on Thanksgiving Day. I remember watching those games, and of course. As a diehard Cowboys fan, uh, the I don't remember the Luke or the uh, Longley one. That was a little bit before my time, but I certainly remember Leon Lett, and that was a very disturbing Thanksgiving afternoon. I think I may have thrown up my turkey after that <laughs> that play. I mean, that was like poor Leon had a really tough year in that year. That earlier that year is when the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, and he he was getting ready to score on a. Uh, a fumble recovery, and Dom Beebe ran and knocked the ball out of his hand. And then 10 months later, he makes one of the biggest bonehead plays in sports history. I think I, I remember on the NFL Networks one time, they had the 10 biggest blunders in NFL history, and Leon Lett had two of them, and he was a good player. So uh, I just remember the snow and Miami and Dallas and the old Irving Stadium, and just, man, that was a, that was a bad memory on Thanksgiving. But I think guys just, you know, there's just something about the holiday, and I'm like you, Adam. I, I don't care about the Detroit Lions, uh, but I know that they're going to play every day on Thanksgiving. That's It's almost comforting at this age. Uh, it's just a tradition that's been there since I've been around, and uh, I think that's just my favorite part of the holiday. I mean, hanging out with family and watching football. I mean, what, is it getting better than that, man? No, I, I do love that, that – Chris's best memory is specifically a painful one for you. And then he went out of his way to point out it's just for his anti-cowboy agenda. Yeah. It's not even yeah. for him. It's just anti-cowboys yeah. and therefore he hates anti cowboys and He knows that's my team. And of course, <laughs> the Cowboys won some Thanksgiving Day games too over the years. I always get excited when they're on Thanksgiving. I don't know if they're playing this year or not, actually. Uh, but I do know that um, – the, the lines always are, and you know I think even it's expanded now in recent years, right? Yeah, there's three games. Yeah, they added the the Thursday night game, which is it's always it's never the same. It's not the it's not like the Cowboys yeah. the Lions where it's every year. It's just yeah. Some so other I team. remember when you know being younger, it was only two games. So now we get three. You start at noon and go go all the way until it's bedtime. So, but yeah, just a tradition, Adam. I mean, dude, I don't know if there's anything that I could say one single moment. Uh, just a tradition. You know, think of, about Leon Lett. It's one of those guys, I only know him because of those blunders, right? In a lot of ways, yeah. he's he's like the Bill Buckner of football. If you didn't yeah. wa- if you didn't grow up watching him play, which I didn't because I wasn't born, um, 
I, I only know Bill Buckner for, you know, for his gaff. And I think yeah. it, he, he was a decent player, right? But he's famous he a, right, for this one terrible moment. He was a very, very moment. good player. Yeah. Won three Super Bowls with the Cowboys, one of their key guys in their defensive line rotation. And it, me being a baseball guy, I mean, Bill Buckner, one of the most unfair labels in the history of sports. I mean, the guy was a great hitter, a really good baseball player. Uh, just happened one one ball went through his legs, and that's what a lot of people remember him for. But when you talk to people in the game who really understand it, they know what Bill Buckner was about. And uh, just one of those guys that uh, he had some, uh, I guess, misfortune cast on him, you know, at the end of his career. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting conversation, say, in the PAT. Interesting throwback. Um, but bringing things back to current, there's a lot of news happening right now around the Gators. If you're listening to this, you certainly know that. Uh, so stay locked into FloridaGators.com for any updates. Again, when a coach is actually hired, uh, you'll you'll see it on FloridaGators.com. You're not going to see a, a tracker of the uh, of the UAA's <laughs> plane on FloridaGators.com. You will get the official announcement. And of course, uh, Chris and Scott will also be on top of football and basketball as they play out over the weekend uh, and beyond. So, guys, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, Adam, and then thank you, buddy. In the era of the transfer portal, it's increasingly rare for football players to finish out a four-plus-year career with the same program they committed to on signing day. Kimari Gamble is one of those select few, having joined the program in 2017, even prior to the start of Dan Mullen's run. As he prepares to sprint out of the tunnel for the last time in the swamp, it'll be emotional for a number of reasons, all of which you'll hear about during our conversation. We grew up in um, Miami, Florida, and uh, I'm from a place called uh, Goose, Florida, like further down south, like South Miami, so like Cutler Bay area. It's it's rough down there. So when when did football first uh, first enter your life? My stepdad introduced me to football when I was four years old. I I at first I ain't really I wasn't really into it because I was I was I was really into sports at first. I was just into like just hanging with friends and stuff like that. He always like pushed me to keep going and keep going. Then eventually I grasped it my uh ninth middle of my ninth grade year. And I got my first college offer and that when I started taking it serious. Well, you weren't that into it at first. Why weren't you that into it? And what was it that ultimately got you into the game? I grew up like in, I was I was a basketball player. And my stepdad, he grew up playing basketball in four, but his his heart was football, so he like I guess he put it on me. Yeah, I guess I fell in love with it. I grew up playing multiple sports. I did a little bit of golf. I did uh, wrestling, volleyball. Wow. And I also did, what you going to nobody know about, I did fencing. Really? Yeah. Wow. How did you get into fencing? Uh, Well, I went, I went to Goose Park for summer camp. It was like a summer league we had. And no, it was no more sports going on. I was like, shoot, you like, want to do fencing? I'm like, oh, okay. I ended up being good <laughs> at it. Um. So that's that's a lot of different sports you compete in. I, I don't know if there's a, a direct line from all of those to football, but as you became more serious about football, what did you maybe take away from those other sports that helped you become a better football player? That's what helped me more with football because with basketball, it helped me more with like with conditioning, obviously, but also with my footwork. I, I coordination from catching the ball, stuff like that. 
Did did fencing help you at all, or any of the other sports come into play, or was it really just uh, the basketball that translated? I can say fencing helped me with not being scared of nothing. Because <laughs> you have people coming at you with swords, yeah, it's not, it's not nothing's as bad as that, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. So when when you decided to to really get into football, how did you find your place in the field? You know, tight end's kind of an interesting spot. Uh, were you a receiver? Were you a quarterback? How did you end up where you are today at, at tight end? I grew up a defensive player, so I must have played safety and uh, defensive end. And um, I got to high school. My stepdad was like, "You can, you should, you should try out receiver." I'm like, "All right." And I tried that. No, at first, no. This, this is a crazy story. First, my ninth grade year, I went to Corey Gables to play. I went to Corey Gables ninth grade year. I went to Corey Gables to play basketball only. Then one night, I was at like 11 p.m. The uh, football coach named David Cooney. He came inside the basketball gym. I was in the working out by myself. Then he was just showing me, like, telling me, like, you, you got the height, the size for the play, and, and like, do big things football like that. And I'm like, I'm still, he still, he still ain't getting me yet. He still ain't grabbing me yet. And then he's showing me, like, he calling coaches on his phone, like, college coaching and stuff, like, saving people like that. And I went, oh, you know, he, he, he know, sold me. I'm like, all right. He told me to come out and try out for football team. And I tried out, ended up playing varsity all my years. Started watching my freshman year and then got my first offer from um, Cincinnati and stuff, stuff started rolling in. What do you remember about that process? So I imagine getting your first offer is big and then more come in and, and then you have even even bigger decisions to make. But what, what schools were you considering and, and what do you remember about the recruiting process? I'd say I was considering um, Miami, West Virginia, Florida and Georgia. Reason was Virginia. They had they had Sider at the time at West Virginia. He was a cool guy. He always been around. Him and my um, coach David Cooney were very close, so that made it like I was I was close committed to them. And also I had I was I was close to uh, Bama too. But I mean they offered me like my uh in my eleventh grade year, and I felt like it was too late at the time. And I was already like locked in with a couple of schools already like that. I feel like if I got them earlier, part of me like a neck and neck battle. Mm-hmm. With Florida, Miami, then Miami, of course Miami because that's close to home. I was committed there my ninth grade year, ninth or tenth grade. I forgot what year it was. I was committed to them, and then I, and I didn't want to stay home, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to decommit. And the coach staff, I got fired. Then Coach Scott went to Tennessee, and then I started leaning towards Tennessee. Then I just ended up coming to Florida because I ain't want to be, I ain't want to be far from home, and I ain't want to be close to home. And I guess UF was just, just right. What what locked you in? Like, I mean, you, you just gave a lot of reasons. You could have gone to different places. What was it about Florida that made that final sale for you? They got a good tight end history here. I grew up with Florida fan. All my growing up, I grew up with Florida fan. And um, like I said, I ain't want to leave home. I mean, I ain't want to leave Florida, and I ain't want to be close to home. And it was right here. They had a good program. They had a good program. Yeah, DeAndre, DeAndre Goosby, he was a good player at the time to look up to. He had Cynthia Lewis. And um, little guys, like, the guy like that, I came on my video, he told me a lot of things, and I love him. Hmm. You mentioned a couple of the guys that I'm, I'm sure were key in helping you develop when you got on campus. Uh, but, but how did some of those older players help you the most when it came to you know, adjusting to being in the program, adjusting to college, all the things that come with that change once you step on campus. Just set up a time schedule and stuff like that. And then 
I gotta say that um, Santee Lewis, he helped me out a lot. You know, I came in, I came in basically a receiver. I came in about two ten. I ain't, I ain't on the block that well. Like in high school and college, two different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he taught, he taught me like the, uh, he Santee taught me a lot like hand placement. Even though Santee wasn't big, like he was, he was big on hand placement, technique, technique can take you far and stuff like that. He taught me that stuff like that. You know, in terms of other guys you were playing with, uh, you I guess you came in. Did you come in the same class as Kyle Pitts, or were you guys different classes? I was a class before him. Class before, okay. Well, ultimately, uh, you and Kyle Pitts spent a lot of time together. I know in, in the tight end room. Uh, yeah. and now he's he's doing big things on Sundays. What was it like playing with him and developing with him? What did you feel like you learned from him? I can say me and Kyle we used to go at it. Like and Kyle used to go at it. Like and he was my roommate in camp. We used to be like, oh, we're gonna do this. How how we gonna do this before the, uh for practice? Or how we gonna how he gonna grade out one of me stuff like that? We just on each other each and every day. He, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great leader. And, um, he's he always working hard. He's he's someone you go look at and, and learn stuff, learn a lot of stuff from. How much have you been able to keep in touch with him since he's uh, been with the Falcons? Did you do you get a chance to talk to him often? I just talked to Cal last I think last week. So. Every other week, we'll talk, check up on each other, stuff like that. Or we'll snap each other or send each other funny videos, stuff like that. What are what are those conversations like? I mean, you guys, do you talk a lot about the game? Does he talk about what's what it's like playing in the NFL, how it differs from college? What what are those conversations like? We try not to talk about football, but eventually going to end up coming back to football. But we mostly just be goofing around, clowning each other. That's it. Still treating each other like you regular people. What what is he what has he said about playing in the NFL about you know the, the challenges that have come with that? He said uh it's more of a like you gotta know what you're doing. Ain't no coaches ain't gonna be on you as much because you basically a grown man. You got other grown people out there who got kids and wives who trying to feed their families. You gotta go out there and work hard each and every day. Uh you, you talked about some of the guys that, that were there for you when you were coming up, Siante, DeAndre. Uh, now you you are one of the the upper class, right? You're you're an elder statesman. Uh, yeah. Which players do you feel like you've had the biggest impact on? Who have you tried to pay it forward to? Uh, I say Gage Gage Wilcox. He, he texts me every other day. We hang out mostly every day. He try to like he try to copy my game. Like I try to work hard in practice so, so I can show him this is how we supposed to practice in practice. Don't be lazy. No, that ain't high school no more. It's basically your job now. It's your life right here, so you can't be messing around. I feel like tight end has become a, a more and more prominent position, especially in the NFL. Um, which which players do you look up to the most? Wh- which players do you watch and maybe model your game after? Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron, yeah. I say I mess my game with him. I, feel, I still feel like I'm fast, man. I feel like I'm fast, man. <laughs> What is it? What is it about his game that that you like? Like, what what do you take away from that? It's just his swagger. He playing loose, and like he played with like he playing like he played like he playing for something like all the time. Even though if they even though they don't have a good record, like he always playing for something. Like he got something to play for. Um, remarkably, this is senior day coming up, right? This is the this is the end of the road. Um, when you look back at your career. What moments stand out the most in your mind? I'll say it had to be my red shirt freshman year. When um, Tyree Cleveland, I ain't played that game. I had my, uh, my foot was, I had a chipmunk on my foot. 
Tyreek Cleveland caught the game with a um, touchdown. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I was – not the first time, but, like, second time I experienced something like that on the, on a team. That was um, that was a good a good time. We, was, we, was, we had a rough season that year, and that was just – at time, that was a time we had – we needed to bring the team back together, and that was just amazing to me. What about a, a moment for you? I mean, something, a play that you were involved in directly – that uh that stands out. Oh, uh Georgia game when I caught that uh that uh a wheel route down the sideline scored. It was a good feeling to be back in the end zone. Been a while since I scored. It was just a good feeling. Yeah, you know, when you when you look back on your career and sort of the, the journey that you've been on, um, in what ways do you think you've grown the most? When you look at yourself as a freshman to where you are today, what have been the, the biggest changes that, that you felt personally? I'll say I matured more, and I got my body body better because my freshman year, I, I remember I took out my chest, my bone, my foot. I was depressed, and I started gaining a little weight. I came in around like two two ten, two twenty. I ended up gaining a lot of weight. Like I ended up being like two sixty, like bad weight. You know, like man, after that, I said, "No, nah, I can't keep doing this." End up trimming my body now. I'm at two forty five now, and I can say I can say that. Yeah, I, I know that Senior Day is going to be extra special for you because your mom is going to be there in the stadium. Um, tell us a little bit about the the health scare she had earlier this year because I know that was a, that was a big challenge for for your family. Yeah, it was. Well, it was uh, on the, day, the night before uh, Thursday night. She texted me saying she didn't feel good. Uh, said she gonna take some medicine. Uh, then that Friday. My sister called my phone around in the middle of the day, crying. I'm like, what the hell going on? Then she told me my mom was in the bed unconscious. Da, da, da. They had to rush her to the hospital, stuff like that. She was in ICU from there. So how did so yeah, so what what happened next? How did she what was wrong with her? And how I mean, how did she get through it? How did it affect you? She had well, it, she had COVID uh before, like she had tried to first she tried to get the, the shot, but Eventually, she had COVID before the shot, mm-hmm. and that's that. I guess that messed her up. Then they found out she had diabetes. They had found out a lot of stuff that messed that messed her up. And then, um, and then they had to put on a, a ventilator. Oh wow! I want to say a month or so, or three weeks or so. They tried taking her off. Then when it took her off, her heart rate started going down. Everything started dropping fast as hell, and she almost died. Hmm. So they had her put it back on it. Then the uh, doctor told us eventually they're going to take it off. Then later, a 27% chance that she might live. Wow. Eventually they took off and then started stuff. They had to keep uh, sedating her because they didn't want her to wake up. They want her brand to come down, sun to come. I've got what it was. I don't know all the details, but mm-hmm. so they try to keep me from like where my, my sister was trying to. My sister, my sister, she's the one who handled everything. My oldest, Kanisha knows. She handled everything. She tried to keep me from like, from like all that uh, distraction. Why she told me let me focus on football, mm-hmm. even though I kept calling every day, trying to see what's going on. Yeah, how how hard was that? I mean, to stay focused on football and and what you were doing in front of you. How difficult was it when you knew what was going on with uh, with her? It was difficult. Like this whole year was difficult for me. Like the bowl game, like like the home bowl game. Mm-hmm. Like people don't know like. Right before I ran out, like right before we got in the stadium, 
I got a phone call that one of my best friends had got shot up. Mm. And like, so that whole night was like, that's why I don't want to put an excuse for that, but that's why I had a, a game like that. So I was going through a lot of stuff like that. So that's when it all like, it been like, that's why all like it started going downhill. Then a couple months after that, one of my cousins, like blood cousins, who I see every like every other other week, every time I go down home, go down for home. She got killed. She got shot up and shot in the head in front of her daughter. Mm. And then my grandma passed away a couple of weeks after that. Mm. Then my mom. It's been a tough year for you. Yeah. I mean, given given all of that, everything that you've been through, the fact that that your mom is is now is now healthy and that she's gonna be not only is she going to be at a game for the first time this year, but it's going to be your senior day and your final time running out in the swamp. I mean, what it, what does that mean to you? What is that going to feel like? It's going to be emotional. It's going to feel good to see her back there. I'm trying to – I ain't going to try, but I am going to do my thing, show her what she's been missing out on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess sum up what, what it means to you to be – to, you know – you're a few days away now from this this final opportunity to play in the swamp. Does it feel? Do you feel a sense of of you know of completion of full circle? Like what what are you thinking about as you as you go into this weekend? Just beating Florida State and try to we're gonna to get to this bowl game. This basically this basically a championship. Both of us fight for a bowl game. Yeah. What what is that for Florida Florida State to be the rivalry that it is? But for only one team to get out, basically, with a, a chance to go to a bowl, um, obviously, it's, it's been a really difficult time in, in your locker room with everything that's been going on with the coaching staff. How do you guys stay focused on that? How, how do you keep driving toward that goal with so many other things going on? Just ignore everything outside and just control, just control, and just ignore everything. We always say, like, see, we say as a team, they not out here working hard, like we working hard. They just watch us on Saturday. They don't know what we go through the, the five days. They not watching us during the week. So just in order outsiders and do us. When you guys, you didn't get a chance to play Florida State last year because of COVID. Uh, what would it mean to you and the seniors to go out with the win at home against FSU? What would that mean to be able to, to finish the year with that kind of message? It would mean a lot, knowing that it's our uh, this is his last ride against Florida State. We want to. It's our, also as our rival. We want to. It would mean a lot to just go out here and just whoop on them and then come home victorious. Well, listen. We thank you so much for your time today. I mean, it's it's obviously it's been a, a tough ride for you, but congratulations on uh, on reaching the finish line here, and, and wish you a lot of luck in the future. I right, appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.